The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The reason Jesus Christ started the church is so that we could reach people with the wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we exist as a church family. Um, Sometimes people will come here and be like, well, you don't have all the bells and whistles of that church and this church or those churches. And the reality is we, we, we don't because we try to just keep it focused on kind of the main things, preaching the word of God and reaching people with the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. And that's our heartbeat. That's our mission. And so every year, We take a few weeks where we really just focus in on that. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to be bringing in missionaries that we support around the world. Uh, When you give your offerings and your tithes on a weekly basis, uh, we take a lot of those funds and we send them to other parts of the world. And uh, that allows us to start churches in other countries. Uh, It allows us to get schools built and orphanages and uh, just feeding those in third world countries and doing medical missions all kinds of things, because we realize the church, we don't exist for ourselves. Uh, we exist for those outside this walls. And, and sometimes, if we're not careful, churches can get very inward focused. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a church, and all of a sudden, the longer you're there, it, it becomes about us four and no more, you know, and it all becomes about what we want out of the church and what songs we want to sing and how we like things done. And before we know it, the church has become very, very inward focused. And that was not why Christ established the church. He established it not for ourselves. He established it so we could be reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we have some missionaries that are going to be flying in from all over the world. In fact, uh, today we have a missionary that focuses on South America. Uh, Next week, so on Friday, literally, we have one of our missionaries who is going to be flying on Friday from communist China. He's going to fly over on Friday. He's going to be with us for a few days, and then he's flying back. And so he's going to be with us. And uh, as many of you know, uh, China is not really open to Christianity. They're not. Uh, they're, they're a closed country. And so really, in, a, in large regards, Christians kind of have to sneak in there to get the gospel and start churches. They call them underground churches uh, because of the fact that these churches aren't supposed to be there. And uh, so we're going to have one of our missionaries who is starting churches uh, in communist China. And then we are going to be in in three weeks, we're going to be having one of our missionaries uh, to the Middle East. And uh, he starts churches in Islamic countries. And I'm telling you what, it's a very, very, very dangerous time uh, to be a Christian in the Middle East right now. And uh, there's just some incredibly horrible things, uh, persecution that's taking place uh, in those countries. And so that's where he feels like God's taken him to. And he's in there uh, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so these are some of the missionaries that we're going to have with us, sharing their stories, telling us about their passion, letting us know what they're doing and uh, I want you guys to be able to see where some of your funds are going to and as we're supporting these missionaries and as we're sending them uh, uh, sending them resources and support uh, we want to keep we want to be accountable to you guys as to what's going on and so uh, we're excited about the upcoming weeks but that is the focus well I'm excited to announce the first missionary of our missions conference and that is Jeff Bush Uh, Jeff Bush has served for 10 years down in South America where he's focused in Peru and then in Argentina 
Argentina. He'll tell us more a little bit about that. But since being down there, they've been able to uh, plant five churches. And I I love missionaries that are just getting down there and getting it done. And so there's churches now in Argentina that they've been able to plant, that they've been able to start. Uh, They've also started a college down there uh, to train up uh, pastors, to train up Christian leaders who will then go out and plant churches as well and start schools and orphanages and those types of things. Uh, One of the other things that they've done, which is really exciting, is in in a lot of those areas, people can't hear the message of Christ because of where they live remotely in villages. And so uh, they actually started a radio station, and that allows the gospel, the good news, and preaching to get out to villages and areas where you can't even get vehicles to sometimes. And so they've started a radio station. Uh, He's an author. He also has been married and has five children uh, that are there. And sometimes we don't think about this when it comes to missions. But their family goes with them, and their kids go with them. And, uh, you know, you think about just the fact of all of what we have as Americans and what we get to enjoy. And if in the middle of the night we need something, we can run over to Walmart or Target or whatever the case may be. And oftentimes for these missionaries, that's just not the case. They have literally given up everything because they believe in the message of the Word of God and the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, these are some of our biggest heroes. Uh, we're so proud of them. Uh, I just, I'm just in awe of the fact that there are folks that literally aren't just willing to you know, give a few dollars, but they're literally giving their entire lives uh, for this thing. And, and we're going to have the honor and privilege of getting to meet them over the next few weeks. So I hope that you'll make it each and every week. I know it'll be an encouragement. I know it'll be a blessing. Uh, I've asked Jeff to come and just kind of get us started with this a little bit. Just kind of challenge us a little bit with what is missions? Why, why do we need to be a part of it? And so without any further ado, Jeff, you come and preach to us the word of God. Well, good morning to everyone, and what a privilege it is to get to be here. I would like to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 5. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 5, been looking forward to this moment uh, to get to share with you, to get to know you. I am very grateful uh, for this church and for God, how, how God is using it and what God is doing here. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 5 in your Bible. Now, you know uh, that the book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. He was the human instrument that God used under his inspiration to write this book. And every book of the Bible, in one sense, has a theme throughout that book. Of course, the theme throughout the whole Bible is our Savior Jesus Christ, right? We know that. But throughout this book, it's got a specific theme. So in one way, Solomon, he's the son of this great David, the king of Israel. And David, uh, through his ministry, through his life, through this kingdom... He has now taught his son Solomon, and now he's taken over the kingdom, and he's running forward. Now, Solomon wrote, in throughout his lifetime, he wrote three different books. He wrote the book of Song of Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs, and then finally he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. When he was a young man, in fact, if you were to take it and you were to look throughout his life, you'd see, as a young man, he wrote the book of Song of Solomon. And this is the book about love. The theme throughout that is love. And eight chapters of, I mean, if you read it, just him saying, wow, you're so beautiful. And her saying, oh, but you're so handsome. And him saying, no, baby, you're hot. And she's saying, no, but you're muscular. And you're like, get over yourself. You know, I, I don't need to know about all this. You know, they're going back and forth throughout this book. A book of love. When he comes to the middle portion of his life, and this is when kingdom, boy, is just going well. He's the wisest king, he's the smartest, he's the richest, he's doing everything. Well, now he's left this book of love, and now he writes the book of Proverbs called the book of wisdom. And in the height of his wisdom, he writes 
all these 31 chapters, in fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4, it tells us that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs in total. All these little pithy sayings that teach us and show us, I mean, writes on every subject you can think of. He teaches us about wisdom, about discretion, about prudence, about justice and judgment, all these wonderful things. Well, then he goes towards the end of his life. So he's written all about love and Song of Solomon. Middle of his life, he writes about this wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And then he comes towards the end of his life, now really kind of reflecting on what all has happened throughout his life. He writes this book called Ecclesiastes, and the theme throughout this book is vanity. And he keeps saying over and over the saying, vanity of vanities, well, all is vanity. In other words, the word vanity simply means useless, worthless, empty. He's looked back over his life after having all the money and all the fame and all the friends and all the parties, everything they had. And he said, you know what? It just didn't fulfill me like I thought it was going to. Have you ever worked for anything or done anything and then you thought, just doesn't, you know, give me that sense of fulfillment like I thought it was. Well, this was his whole life. And so he writes this book towards you and towards me to remind us that we may reflect and say, what is life all about? What are we really doing upon this earth? Are we floating through or what's going on? So he writes this book to teach us, to show us. We make our way to chapter number five in the heart of the book. Ecclesiastes chapter number five. And look, if you would, verse number 15 and verse number 16. This is what he says. Solomon says, verse number 15, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. What a weird way of putting a verse, right? I mean, he came into this world naked without anything. And that the Bible says that's the same way you're going to go. Now, he seems to be speaking in a very crude matter. In other words, he's saying, you know what, I can flower this baby all up, but I really don't care to. I just want you to see the heart of the matter. In fact, on the New Testament side, it repeats the same thing. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 7, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we'll carry nothing out. I have five children. In fact, before you leave this morning, I want to ask you to grab one of our prayer cards. It has a picture of my family on there, and it tells a little bit about us. We serve the Lord, and I want you to grab that. If you would pray that God would open the doors, God would allow us to see souls saved, and wonderful things happen. I do a lot into colleges and schools, recruiting, talking about missions, and you could pray for us. We'd greatly appreciate that. But you'll notice there I have five children. I have four little girls, and finally, by God's grace, I have one little boy. You know, our verse for a long time was, He that perseveres until the end... He shall have a son. Amen. I mean, just keep going, brother. You're bound to have a son, right? But you know what? We have all these little girls, and now my son, in fact, my son, he's the youngest. And my son, he is such a spoiled little brat. I mean, to be honest, you know, I mean, I was the only man around the house for a while. I mean, it was great. My girls thought I was the greatest. There was nobody compared to. Of course I was great, you know? I mean, I was just wonderful. All of a sudden, my son's born, and now my son sits at the table, and he says, I want to drink. And one of his sisters get up and start getting And I said, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? She said, well, my brother wants to drink. And I said, sit down. Get it yourself, punk. I mean, come on. Everybody's got to serve me. He says, and one of my girls always looked and said, but dad, I'll get it for him. I said, no, you won't. And then my wife says, honey, I'll get it. I'm like, really? Everybody is his mom around here? What about me, you know? I mean, I used to be the man around this, but you know. Well, anyway, out of my children, my first little girl was born in Georgia right before we left the United States. And we went to Peru for language school. She was born a month, a month and a half before we left the United States. And 
uh, man, we took her to language school as a little bitty baby. We arrived to Peru while we're taking language school in Spanish. My second little girl was born in Peru. Well, we leave Peru and we go to Argentina. That was our focus. That's where we were going to stay and going to minister. And while we were in Argentina, my third daughter and my fourth daughter were born. We visit back in the United States for just a short term. And while we were visiting here, my son was born. So I figured I better stop crossing borders before I have more children. You know what I'm saying? I mean, good night. This is just getting expensive, you know. Well, you know, out of all my children, I can tell you out of Argentina, out of Peru, and out of the United States, at least out of my children, all of my children were born, let's say it this way, they were born without diapers. You following me? They were born without any, you know, bottle. They were born without any instruction manual. They were born without anything. Listen to what the Bible says. You know, as you came into this world, same way you're going to leave this world. You'll take nothing away in your hand that you've all i mean we we work we live and we gather all these things around us he said and we'll take nothing of that with us look at verse number 16 because it explains a little bit more the bible says it this way verse number 16 this also is a sore evil in other words it's bad this is real bad it's a sore evil that in all points as he came so shall he go, go. and what profit hath he that hath labored for the, would you say that last word? What profit hath he that hath labored for the, what does it say? Wind. Let me ask you a question. Can you see the wind, yes or no? No. I mean, you might be able to see where the wind is blowing, you know? You see the, the, the trees moving, the, the wind, you know, blowing that way because the leaves are going or the dirt or whatever. You might be able to say, well, I think it's coming from this way. Or you might be able to lick your fingers, stick it up in there and say, come from the south. But you can't see the wind. You know, I mean, might come from the south and go cross over to the north or cut down and go east or might come back up and go away. Might do a prairie wind and flip around and go right back where it came from. You can't see the wind. Here's what the Bible says. And after you live all of your life, everything that you've gathered around you, everything that you said, this makes me me because I've got all these properties, these things around me, material possessions and my name and my family, all this, this is who I am. And it said, at the end of life, what does it profit you? That all you've gathered, it's just like you gathered it for the wind. So let me ask you a question this morning. If all that we're working for and all that we're living for, if all we're doing is just going to go away, then what is life all about? What really lasts in life? And the reason that we need to know this question, even answer this question in our mind is because if we're not careful, we'll run just like the people who do not know Jesus. We'll run after all these things in life and we'll never be satisfied in life. Now if you'd make your way, if you'd leave the book of Ecclesiastes and head backwards towards the beginning to the book of Psalms in chapter number 119. Psalms in chapter 119. The longest book in the Bible, Psalms. Now this is the longest chapter in the Bible. This was written by the father of Solomon, the one who was now writing this book saying, you know what, all this life, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't fulfill me. It doesn't give me joy. And so now his dad's going to speak. And we're going to find out from his dad what really lasts in life. And I want to pose this question to you. And I want you to think about it this morning. What really does last in life? And it's so important to grasp because if we know, then as a child of God, we can start running after it. We can look at it. We can give our love and our dreams and all about it. But if we do not know what lasts forever, then we're going to kind of become confused. We're going to go in circles. And we're just going to sit around and just wait until the Lord takes us home but we must figure out what really does last forever. Now, before we go to that, what lasts forever, let me ask you this morning. Let's talk about what we don't, what doesn't last forever. Let me ask you. Do cars last forever, yes or no? 
No. I mean, good night, you know? Somebody, you're sitting at the stoplight and somebody bumps you at the back and you're like, seriously, dude? Can you get off your phone and quit hitting me, you know? And boy, I mean, just cars break, you know? And problems happen and all of a sudden the transmission, you got to change it and they say, it's going to cost you more than your car's actually worth. And you're like, just get rid of the piece of junk, you know? Cars just don't last. Houses, do they last forever, yes or no? No. I mean, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, but you got to paint them, you know? you got to fix them up. you got to do things that just don't last. How about money? Does it last forever, yes or no? No. I mean, it's wonderful when you have money, but, you know, I mean, it just kind of goes away. In fact, the book of Proverbs in chapter number 23 is my favorite book, the book of Proverbs. In chapter number 23, it says in verse number 5, Wilt thou put thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. When I was down in Argentina, I remember many times the first of the month, I would get my money, I'd pull my money out, I'd go to an ATM machine, I had the bank in the and I'd go to the ATM machine, and I'd pull the money out for the, for the entire month, and I would look at my wife, and I'd say, baby, this is going to be a good month, man, we've got more sport, this is going to be great, it's going to be wonderful, man, I've got all these plans that I'm going to do, and all of a sudden, it seems like all the bills are a little bit more that month, and then my wife says, honey, kids are going back to school, they need extra shoes this month. I'm like, you've got to be, let them go without shoes. They'll be okay, you know. I mean, Tom Sawyer did it for crying out loud, Huckleberry Finn. You know, why do they need shoes, you know? And you're like, good night. And all of a sudden, it's like, you have all this money, and it all of a sudden starts to fly away as an eagle toward heaven. You say, come back, my love. <laughs> Where are you going? Money's gone, man. It just doesn't last. We could say the same thing about sports. We could say the same thing about maybe style or fads or places or geography, whatever. It just, it doesn't stay the same. So what lasts forever? This King Solomon who had all the money in the world, he looks to you and to me and he's had it all and he's had every experience you can imagine, every delight that you can imagine. And he said it doesn't last. So we put our focus this morning on what truly does last. So that we can figure it out, not just to know with the head knowledge, but that we can grab a hold of it, put it in our heart, and we can begin to run after it with all of our heart. So what lasts forever? Open your Bible to the book of Psalms 119, and let's read, if we could, verse number 89. I want you to see this, Psalms 119, verse number 89. The Bible says this, Forever, O Lord, thy word. It is settled, where does the Bible say? It's settled where? In heaven. Now, why does it say heaven? Because on earth everything changes. In heaven nothing changes, amen? I mean, it's always the same. It's always what's there. Here around the world, everything changes up and fads and people and styles and all that. It always changes, but in heaven, nothing changes. So listen to this. What lasts forever? Number one, what lasts forever? The Word of God. Would you say that with me? What lasts forever? Number one, the what? Word of God. One more time. What lasts forever? Number one, the what? Word of God. The Word of God? That's what lives and abides forever. That is God's Word. That is God's instruction manual to you and to me. Let's be honest. How can I know how to be a good dad? Well, the Word of God will teach you. How can I know how to be a good husband? The Word of God will teach you. How can you know how to live life? The Word of God will teach you. How can you know what to do? The Word of God that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Word of God is everything to us. And God has so many lessons for us. Right here, what lasts forever, the Word of God. My family and I, when we arrived over into Argentina, South America, everything was different. I mean, it was a different culture, it was a different language. It was Spanish, culture was different, people were different, things were different, styles were, everything was so different for us. In fact, when we arrived down there, Argentina is known as kind of like the beef capital of the world. There's more, they consume almost twice the amount of beef that they do in the United States. How many of you like good steaks? Would you raise your hand? 
Amen. Praise the Lord for those cows that walk around and give us our meat. Amen. You know what? I love good steak. And if you're a vegan, I apologize. I still love steak. But you know what? I mean, good steak, man, they're great, you know? And man, I used to walk in there. And I remember when we got down there, I would walk into a restaurant. And I would say, I want to get, you know, what, what's your special here? And they'd say, well, steak. Everybody eats steak around there. You could buy a steak in Argentina probably about that thick. I mean, they were good. Size. Big steak. I mean, they weren't like a photocopy of a steak. They were real steak. A big old juicy steak. Man, they would cut it through the middle. They would, they would butterfly it, open it all up. You could buy a big steak, a big plate. Steak and mashed potatoes for about 3 to $4. I thought God has confirmed his call on my life. Amen. <laughs> I thought, I am going to die in this place, you know? My wife would say, honey, what do you want to eat today? I'm like, seriously, that's a question? Let's go get a steak, amen? I mean, this is awesome. I love steak. Man, it was wonderful. I love, you know, so culture was different. Food was different. People were different. Language, everything was totally different in Argentina. I remember when we started our first church there. Hung the sign out there, passed out all these invitations. Iglesia Bautista del Faro. We're going to start our first church, Lighthouse Baptist Church, man. We went out and invited people. I remember getting up there very first. Man, I led the singing, which was not a good thing. I did the praying. I did the announcements. I did everything. Man, I mean, I led the whole service. And I remember thinking, Lord, you got to help me. In fact, I remember the first service when there was a man in the back, and I looked back, his name was Ugo. I mean, we had been months in, and I looked back, and I said, Ugo, would you lead us in prayer? He started praying. I thought, praise God, we're a real church. We got a man who can pray in this place. Amen. Man, I was so pumped. I'm like, we're arriving. We're getting to be a real church. Man, I was so excited. But you know, I remember in those first days, I didn't know what exactly to do. I was nervous. I was scared. But I remember standing up there and I would open the Bible. I would preach and little by little, people began to get saved. Things begin to happen. People begin to leave their, their habits and their wicked lifestyles. They begin to serve God. Do you know why, dear friend? Because the Word of God changed their lives. You know, the Word of God is so powerful. It can move in us. It can change us. And it wants to. God wants to change us. It's what lasts forever. You know, everything was different over there. But the cultural bounds, this book right here crossed all the bounds. It doesn't matter the style. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the ethnicity or the language. This book right here, it crosses all the barriers. The Word of God, it lasts forever. Isaiah chapter 40 verse number 8 says, The grass it withereth, the flower it fadeth, but the word of our God shall bide forever. The first Peter chapter 1 verse number 23, 24, 25, it says, We're not saved by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. All things change, dear friend, but you know what does not change? The word of God, it stands forever. When I was growing up, I went to church. My parents made me go to church. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was saved right before I was born. And so my parents were saved, and I grew up in a Christian home. Very thankful for it. Very thankful for the influence. But you know, I remember going to church, and I did not want to go to church. I had a very negative, a bad attitude about going to church. And I remember my dad would say, we're going to church. I'd say, Dad, I don't want to go to church. He said, we're going to church. I said, Dad, come on. He said, we don't have to go to church. Every once in a while, I was like, yeah, not going to church. And my dad said, we don't have to go. We get to go to church. I'm like, ha ha, funny, not. You know, I'm like, I hated that, man. It drove me nuts. In fact, my dad would grab me a hold of the ears, and he would say, son, we're going to church. And he would drag me. He pulled me back there. You see, you thought these big Dumbo ears were made by God? No, my dad made these babies, you know? I mean, man, he would drag me, come on, son, we're going to church. Man, I hated go. I didn't want to listen. Well, I was during that time, and I made it to high school. Man, I was rebellious. I didn't care, and I thought, you know, fooey on all this stuff. In fact, I 
went through several grades several times in grade school. In fact, I remember I didn't pay attention. I wouldn't do homework. My dad said, you got to do homework, son. I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, they'll let me through. Well, about after the third time in the fourth grade, I realized I better start doing my homework. You know, this is going to work out for me in life. Well, you know, I mean, I kept going over and over, and I remember they said, you know what, you need to do a book report. And I said, what in the world's a book report? And they said, that's where you read a book, and you do a summary on it. I thought, what a loser of a life. Why would I do that? I mean, can't you go outside and play or shoot something or do something, you know, worthy of your time instead of, you know, reading a whole book? And they'd say, well, you go into the library, and you get all these books. And I remember walking in there, there's books everywhere, and I was like, oh, Lord, what do I do? I'm burning the whole place. You know? I'm like, man, look at all these books. So I remember I pulled the book off the shelf, and as I pulled the book off the shelf, I flipped it over. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. I'm reading that thing. I pulled it off the shelf, and I looked at the back of the book, and lo and behold, by God's good mercy, the author had already written the book report for me on the back. I thought, God bless your little soul, buddy. I changed a couple words, signed my name, said, there's my book report. Man, I was a happy camper. I made it through school all doing that stuff. And you know what? I shouldn't have done, but I remember one Sunday, went over to Grandma's house to have lunch. I'm in high school now, and I'd made my way just, you know, kind of doing my own thing. We're in Grandma's house, and I remember while we're there, all of a sudden, my mom says, son, come here. And she calls me back there, and I I remember going back to the room. Never going to be a good thing when it's only you and your mom in a room when the door's going to be closed. I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to get beat half to death. And so my mom looks and said, son, you're having a hard time reading. Really? She said, yeah, I want you to start reading. I'm like, okay. So she gets a Bible, and she opens it up, and she says, start reading. I said, come on, Mom. She said, I said, start reading. Mom. She said, start reading. Okay, I'm reading. I remember she opened up the book of Proverbs, chapter number one. And she got ready to walk out the door. She said, I said to read. I said, I'm reading, Mom. I remember starting reading the book of Proverbs, chapter number one, the, 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 the book, book of, of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. I started out, I had a hard time, I remember I read a few verses. Over the next couple of weeks, mom had me start reading a lot more. It was during that time that I was reading the word of God, God got a hold of my heart and I got saved. Do you know this book right here? It changes lives. Do you want to know, you want to grow in the Lord? Start reading the word of God. I was in Argentina many times at one of the churches, one of the Bible college students would come up and he would say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'd say, shoot. He'd say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm growing in my life. And he would go proceed to say, well, my, my pastor, you know, he, I just don't know the messages are getting to me. And I'm just not sure church is what I want it to be right now. I'm not sure that all these things, and I'm not growing in the Bible college. And I'd say, I've got one question for you. Just, just answer me one question. I'd say, okay. I said, let me ask you, are you reading your Bible every day? You know, I'm busy. I've got work. I've got, I said, I understand all that. But are you reading your, you know, I don't have time. And I said, hold on one second. If you're not reading God's word every day. Do not blame it on your pastor or anybody else. Your pastor can't do what God can do in your life. You see, God wants to teach you, dear friend. You know what lasts forever? The Word of God. But let me take you one other place in the Scripture very quickly towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. Very quickly as you make your way there. 1 John chapter number 2. What lasts forever? I mean, Solomon said, you know what? All these things, they don't last Boy, they just don't fulfill me like I thought it would. Man, I had all the parties. I had all the friends. I mean, I had the big house. I had the mansion. In fact, this guy was so rich that he had a zoo in his house. How cool is that, you know? I mean, this guy could do anything. He had a giant, the Bible even says in 1 Kings that he built this giant swimming pool just in the other room out of brass, covered out of marble, excuse me. He covered in gold. How cool, a golden swimming pool at your house? Hello, the Lord's calling me. 
I mean, goodness, that is awesome, man. I mean, how cool would that be? You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, what are you going to do? Hey, go for a swim this morning. You're like, that would be awesome, man. The guy had everything that he wanted. But yet at the end of life, he said, all these things didn't fulfill me. They didn't get it to me. In fact, everything I gained around me, it just like goes away with the wind. So what really lasts forever? Number one, what lasts forever? The word of God. But I want you to see in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 17, very quickly, the Bible says this. And the world, what happens to the world? It passes away. And the lust, all these desires that he thought that would fulfill, it just kind of passes away as well. So the world passes away, the lust thereof, but, here's the other side of the coin, but he that doeth the will of God abideth how long? Forever. The will of God, what does that mean? Well, let's not make it some mystical or magical thing that only a few people can know. Listen, the will of God simply means serving God with your life. Listen, dear friends. The Bible says, you know what lasts forever? Number one, the word of God. But what lasts forever? Not only the word of God, the will of God. Giving your life to God, selling out for God, serving God with your life. It gives you a fulfillment that nothing else can. I used to tell the young men in Argentina that were trained to be pastors, you know what real fun is? When you wake up the next morning and you do not regret what you did the night before. That's called fun. I've been on the other side. It's not. Listen, dear friend. You know what the Bible says? When you do the will of God, when you serve God with your life, you have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to regret. You go out and you say, praise God, I did something worthy with my life. Everything else will pass away. Everything else will go away. But serving God, what does it mean that it'll abide forever? It'll last forever? You see, all the rock stars, man, they just go off the scene and somebody comes on and they sing a lot better. All the actors, boy, they're the best. And man, there's nobody like him or nobody like her. And all of a sudden, here comes somebody on the scene that's much better. All the sports star, man, I mean, he jumps higher and faster and does better. But now all of a sudden, here comes on the scene someone who's much better at them. And everybody is replaced. Well, listen, when you serve God with your life, it's something that goes on forever and ever. We invested our lives in the work of God, and it goes on forever and ever. Listen, dear friend, what the world, listen, the world is all lost, and the world is going the way. Listen, what God's children need is to begin to get involved in the work of God. You see, God didn't save us. Please follow me. Please understand me. I don't want to offend anybody, dear friends. But God didn't save any of us to simply sit on a chair. God saved us to serve him with our lives. They say statistically that most churches, 80% of the work is done for 20% of the people. What if we were to flip that around and almost all of us were involved in the work of God? Could you imagine how things, how people can hear if all of us began to invite people to church? Could you imagine what could happen if all of us were witnessing, if all of us were giving, if all of us were reading God's word, if all of us were involved in discipleship, if all of us were serving God? Boy, great things would happen in the work of God. You see, what life is all about is serving God with your life, saying, He is the center of my life. No turning back, no turning back. I decided to follow Him. Man, I don't care about anything the word of God lasts forever, and the will of God, he that doeth the will of God. We have young men that were in Argentina that are now serving God, God behind pulpits. They're preaching, and they're in ministry in different areas. And boy, they're doing great. This one young man, his name is Mauricio, and I remember he, boy, he just started growing by leaps and bounds. Man, I mean, things were happening in his life. I remember he came, and he asked for me for discipleship. Man, he started growing. Man, he just started growing by leaps and bounds, and he was growing really fast. All of a sudden... He works in the jail system as a professional dentist. He comes to me and he said, Pastor, all these men have been led to the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. He comes back another week. Pastor, these men are being led to the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Man, he just keeps coming back. I thought, are they really getting saved? 
Before too long, he gets me permission, gets the paperwork, and I'm able to go to the jail system with him. And he said, you can preach. I'm going to take you in there, and I'll get all the paperwork. So we did, and I remember walking through there, and I remember walking through all these different gates. All the men are standing there, big guards. All of them had machine guns. In fact, in Argentina, the, the jail system was a lot different. These guys had big old machine guns, and I thought, they had their finger on the trigger. I thought, if they sneeze, we're all going to die. Hachoo! You know I mean, like, this is, who gave them a machine gun? You know, they didn't even know how to use the thing. But, you know, I remember walking through there, one gate, and they'd say, what are you here for? I'd show them my credentials, you know. And what are you here for? I'd show them my credentials. We'd go after one and through another gate. And finally, we get all the way in. And I remember these guys that said, you must be pastor. I looked around. I thought, I, do, I, do I know you? He said, yeah, Mauricio led me to the Lord. I said, well, that's great. Another guy told me, after a couple of guys, I thought, are these guys really getting saved? I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical here. I want to see if this is really happening. So I remember asking one of the guys, I said, come here. I said, tell me, you, you said you got saved. Yeah, yeah, Mauricio, let me the Lord. You know him. Yeah, I do. He goes to your church. Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. And they said, well, what happens is that at night when any of us that are here in the jail, whenever we have a toothache and it's really bad, if it's in the middle of the night, we'll call one of the guards. The guard comes over and he takes us out and all of a sudden he'll take us down there to this big room and we'll go in this room. It's got a chair and we sit in this chair and all of a sudden Mauricio, the dentist, walks in there. I said, okay. He said, we walks in there and he puts us, we sit in the chair and he pushes the chair all the way back and he looks, he turns on this big old light and he says, open your mouth. And we open our mouth and all of a sudden he gets these knives and sharp instruments and he puts it in our mouth. And when he does, he says, if you died today, do you know where you're going to go? He said, man, we're all scared. Everybody gets saved in this jail. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, right? Be creative. But you listen, you know, the honest truth is Modi's got on fire for God. And buddy, he got in charge of a class and he started teaching everybody how to witness to other people and people started leaving. Listen, wonderful things began to happen because this young man said, you know what my life is all about? Serving God with my life. Listen, dear friend, God wants to use your life. God's not going to twist your arm. God didn't make you a robot. Sunday morning, must go to church. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to get involved. But listen, the greatest thing in the world is if you do get involved in the work of God. You see, the question is not, is God going to do a work at Ambassador Baptist Church? The question is, will you have a part in the work that God's going to do? And see, God wants to use your life. God wants to do something amazing. My wife and I, we got married right after college. and In fact, my father-in-law had a rule that I had to wait to graduate to get married. Now, I cheated my way through school. Now I made it to college, and I'm thinking, I'll never get out of this place. And so I thought, I don't know how many people I'm going to have to shoot, knock off, so I can get out of this place, because I was born to get married, for crying out loud, you know? And so I thought, I'm getting out. So we took these summer classes, the winter classes, and man, we were able to make it out, and I'm a very patient man, so I waited almost a whole week and a half. I graduated, and I got married, praise the Lord. Well, you know, I got married, and we started traveling. I remember my wife, I mean, I had this little bitty car. In fact, it was so small that I could reach the door on the other side. My wife couldn't get away from me if she wanted to. It was a great car. Man, we're driving around everywhere. My wife would sit down and she would read missionary biographies to me. Man, I would dream, God, this is what I want to do. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I remember reading the biography of one young man by the name of Charles T. Studd. His parents had went over to India. They'd made millions, their fortune. They'd come back over to England, Scotland area, and they were just settling down with the three boys just to live life. Well, they came through, and finally he gets saved, and he gets a burden for his three boys. He begins to pray for them. God, would you please save my boys? Would you please use them? Finally, there comes a time that they're young men, and now Charles, he's a young man. He's really good in sports. In fact, he's one of the best sports players they had all over there in the UK. And by, by the time he's 15, 16, he's a household name. Everybody knew who Charles Studd was. 
son of a millionaire, great cricket player. In fact, he gets 17, he becomes the, I mean, the captain of all these. Man, he's just great, he's doing awesome. Before too long, he hears the preaching and he gives his life with one, seven other, six young men. And he comes one of the seven young men that give their lives and they go over to China to serve God. They're over in China and receives a large portion of his inheritance when he's 18. He gives it all away. George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, D.L. Moody, some of the men that were contemporaries at that time. He gives all his money away. He reserves when he's 25, he's going to get all the rest. And he said, I'm going to give all this money away and I'm going to save it for those who are, you know, those who are still in need, but I still want to reserve a part for when I get married. So he saves this portion and he finally meets the girl. He gets married. He goes right up to the front. He gets, grabs a hold of her hand, he looks at her, and he's getting ready to get married, and he said, I want to tell you something. I've reserved, I've given all my money away, but I've reserved just a small portion for you so that we can start off, we can buy a house, we can do every, all that we want, we can just have it. This is for you, the woman that I love. And she looks at him and she says, Charlie, that's what she called him. Charlie, what did God say to the rich young ruler? He said, well, sell all and follow me? And she said, I think you know what we need to do. He gives away the rest of his money, and they start out with absolutely nothing. They travel over to the continent of Africa. They travel over to India and Asia. They travel over to China. They give all their lives and serve years and years serving God, telling people about Jesus. They come to the very end of their life. They pick up his journal. They're flipping through there, this man, great man of God, how he served God. As they flip through, they find this saying, and this is what it said. If Jesus Christ be God, and he died for me, and no sacrifice that I can ever give. Now remember, he's the son of a millionaire. He's famous. He's good. He's got talent. He had everything. He could have did anything he wanted with his life. But he said, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice that I could ever give could ever be compared to what he did for me on the cross. Can I tell you this morning? Listen, dear friend. Jesus Christ is God. He did die for you. And sometimes we think, well, if I give a little bit of offering or... If there at the church that's just enough god count it off checklist for my my good works this week and god said no 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 no. i don't want one day of the week i don't want a little bit in an offering plate i want all of your life to be served for me different i ask you if we're not careful we'll run after what all the world runs after the people that don't know jesus but this morning i bring you back to a thought that you know oh so well what really lasts forever According to the Bible, the Word of God and the will of God. Would you give God your life? Would you say, God, if you want to use my children, I pray you can have them, God. God, if you want to use my grandchildren, I'll pray that they serve you, God. If you want my children, here it is. I'll get involved in one of the, the, the ministries here at the church, God. I'll people. I'll bring people, God. I won't be just one of the Christians that come every once in a while or just, you know, kind of nonchalant there. God, I'll be a Christian on fire for you. What lasts forever? The Word of God. The will of God. Will you get involved in the work of God, dear friend? Will you jump all the way in and say, God, whatever it is, here's my life. That same young man by the name of C.T. Studd who gave his life to God, the very end of life, this is what he said. There's only one life. Soon it'll pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. See all the things in the world, you can't take them with you. What does last forever is the word of God, the will of God. Will we give God our lives? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.